it's like it is so cold and it's so windy that once you're up there, it's like, let's get back down, uh, which it was, if anything, a little anticlimactic because you worked so hard to get to this yeah. point. And then you're up there and it was just so, so cold and windy. And it was like, oh, I, could, I couldn't take much of it. Welcome to the Crossing It Off podcast, where we believe living with intention through a bucket list lifestyle is a great way to bring yourself personal joy. As you are crossing items off your list, you're actually filling up your bucket. The more items you cross off, the more joy gets added, until eventually your joy spills over into the lives of those around you. Now let's start crossing it off together. My father had a dadism that he used to use a lot. He said, if you poop, actually used a different word, in one hand and wish in the other, see which one gets full quicker. To me, a bucket list is more than manifestation. It's about being ready to take on whatever the universe puts in front of you. Is your bucket list like that? Are you ready to go when the opportunities arise? Our bucket list storyteller did just that. She had something on her list for almost 30 years. She was in a place, in a mindset where she could take it on. Let's learn how she did that and start crossing it off. I'd like to welcome my guest, Maureen Kennedy, and she describes herself as inspirational, proactive, outdoorsy, and passionate. Maureen, thank you for coming. No, thanks for having me, Roger. Yeah. So tell us, what did you cross off your bucket list? Climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Okay. So <laughs> for, for those that may not be familiar with this, where is Kilimanjaro? Where, how high is it? How long is it? That kind of thing as far as the details of it. Well, the height of it is 19,340 feet, and wow. it is in um, Kenya, Tanzania. It borders. We did we did uh, did it from Tanzania, but you can also do it from Ken- Kenya. So how did this get on your bucket list? What was the reason for it? What drew you to doing this and crossing it off? It's so interesting. I always find, like, the how ideas enter people's brains mm-hmm. and this this one was like no big thought no big plan i was in school and we were in learning about africa and the my teacher mentioned mount kilimanjaro and i loved the sound of it and i said one day i'm going to climb that that's as simple <laughs> as it gets yep <laughs> okay there's I nothing just, wrong with that there's nothing i mean it's inspiration <laughs> comes in all forms of fashions and sometimes inspiration takes a long time sometimes yeah. inspiration inspiration takes a short time so so how did you make this happen how long and how long was it between when you said oh, i'm going to do that and you actually did it Okay, so that was, I was in ninth grade. And so let me see, how old are you again when you're in ninth grade? Whatever, like early teens, right? So I was in my 40s when I climbed Kilimanjaro. So, you know, at least 30 years later. Okay. And so how did you. The story of my life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, That's all right. We all bloom at different times. It's fine. How did you make it happen and what was like, okay, I'm going to go do this now? What was the impetus for saying it's time after the, all this time, it's time. And how did you make that happen? I live right on the U.S.-Canadian border. I live in the U.S., but I am Canadian. So I've always worked on the Canadian side. And on the way home one day, I stopped at my gym and there was this announcement. We're going, we're climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Who wants to go? So I joined this group. I didn't know anyone, but I was like, oh, wow, this is a great opportunity. 
and um, two, two, two children at home and my husband, and we've always honored each other's um, hobbies, passions or whatever. No problem. I, it's not like a question of, uh, can I do this or passing, running it by anyone or anything like that? It was like, I'm doing this. And if, uh, yeah, definitely a lot of support on the home front. And, um, and then I was with a great, great, great group of people. Uh, we had, a, there were 11 of us. We did a lot of training. Am I getting ahead of the gun here? Did you want to ask any other questions? We did for months. We trained together. We would do all these hikes. We literally, even in the winter, we would hike in the snow, like the deep snow, because at the end, when you're doing the climb um, at the very end of Kilimanjaro, there is the snow. So we just wanted to make sure we we had experienced that and we did it in the middle of the night because that's also when we did the last bit of the climb was that that's how it's done. So we just made sure we had all those experiences and did it together. And it was just, okay. One less thing to worry about (laughs) as you're preparing for it. Yeah. That's awesome. So everybody was from the gym. For the most part, yes. There were two or three maybe people who were at, from the area but didn't belong mm-hmm. to that gym. Um, but nobody knew each other. Maybe, oh, there were two couples. This is a really interesting little piece of info, uh, just a comment. Anyways, there were only two couples in this group. And everyone else was kind of like me, like maybe married, maybe a partner, maybe single, whatever. But of these two couples... At the end, after everything was done, they separated and divorced. So just a word, like just if you plan to go with your spouse, it may not be the best of idea if you aren't in a strong relationship. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean, or it could be a good thing. It could help you realize that, you know, traveling is life. And so if you travel with a partner, and it's bad, then maybe that's a good indication to do something yeah. else. Yeah. Well, it was a real eye opener for me because I, so my background's in psychology and just to watch the dynamics that it's physically, the end piece is physically hard. And also with the altitude, it really, it really taxes a person. Mm. And so it, with these two couples, in each situation, there was one couple that was struggling a lot more than the other. And for example, the the person I ended up summiting with, um, he and I summited and we came down together, but his wife really struggled. And her expectation was that he would wait and do it Mm. all. And he said, I can't do it. I have to do, I have to think about myself I can't carry you. Mm. <laughs> and so it's just, it was just really interesting that there were, I think that would be my word of advice to people would really, if you are going with someone, even if it's a friend, really look at your expectation beforehand, because we often don't realize we have these unconscious expectations of others, and they're not going to be met on these difficult physical excursions. Yeah. I've had that happen in other situations too. So it's yeah. always, that's part of the the preparation. Really know what you personally can do and don't expect someone else to carry your load. Yeah. So what were your expectations 
of the climb and how how were they met or not met? What was what were you thinking it was going to be like, and what was the actual? I was. I've always been very fit. I've, you know, trained running marathons and half Ironmans and things like that. So I knew physically I would be okay, but I didn't know about the altitude and I, because I'd never climbed that high. So I really didn't know. And all the research shows that it's not a matter of fitness at all. Like it's a level playing field. You can be totally out of shape and be fine with altitude you can be in extremely good shape. You can be an Olympian and have trouble with altitude. So that piece really made me nervous. I knew no matter how prepared I was physically, mentally, um, that piece was an unknown. So that made me nervous. And I did actually have problems at um, like 15,000 feet. The way we did it, we climbed up, we spent one two nights at the same altitude to acclimate, help acclimate it. And that was at like 15,000. And we climbed higher on the, after the first night of sleeping at 15,000 and then came back down. And I had the worst, worst headache of my life. It was Mm. so bad and so sharp. But then after that, I was fine. I just, so everybody does not everybody, but some people need that time to acclimate. And there were, I think it was three people in our group who could not get to the summit because of altitude. So was that camp that you stayed in, was that in snow or was that below the snow line? Below. Below the snow line. Okay. And so you're, you're in Africa doing this. Did you have to carry all your pack or how, you know, how much of that way? What was that process for you? We had we did hire sherpas so we had two guides you need to have a guide with you you can't you need to have a guide so our group had two guides and then we did have sherpas so we had our our essential backpack but you know the sleeping bags things like that we did not carry people we saw people in tents like we although you're not in the snow it was so windy that people tents were blowing away you know there was (laughs) that piece of it. Here at the Crossing It Off podcast, we are passionate about inspiring you in your bucket list lifestyle and empowering you to live out your list. We offer many resources to assist you in your bucket list journey, such as web resources in the show notes, bucket list mentoring services, my book, Live Out Your Lists, a private Facebook group for you to share your bucket list success stories with others and more. All of these can be found at crossingitoffpodcast.com. Find the resource that fits your need so that you can live out your list. Now back to the show. It is incredibly windy when you're getting to the top. Like, it, yeah, you. that piece was was interesting. Also incredibly cold, freezing, in fact. So, you know, there, there are things like even though you know once you're there, it's kind of like, it's like people always say, what's it like to have a kid? Well, until you actually do, yeah. you don't even no matter what you know consciously you just it's hard to visualize it and understand it and so what was it like once you summited how long did that take and when you got there paint us a picture of what you saw so the way it works they do it in the middle of the night at least the way we did it because you are you are climbing the 
part of the mountain that's very loose gravel. It's so one of the reasons is that it's not as loose, so not as hard um, to be climbing it. And also just because of the timing, you don't, if you started to climb during the day and then, you know, by the time you get up there and that, it's just for, for many reasons, that's the way we did it. So we left at almost midnight and started the climb. And then my two, we had two guides. One of the two guides was very, he gets altitude sickness. So he was quite sick. I found him by a rock, like vomiting as I was coming down. Poor God. The, the government will only allow, well, how many, I can't even remember now. They can only do certain amount of climbs a year right. just because of the toll it takes. So I ended up, just me and this other fellow, we got to the summit. We watched the sun come up. We looked around for a few minutes, like a few minutes, and we said, let's get the hell down there. <laughs> it, it's like it is so cold and it's so windy that once you're up there, it's like, let's get back down, uh, which it was, if anything, a little anticlimactic because you worked so hard to get to this yeah. point. And then you're up there and it was just so, so cold and windy. And it was like, oh, I, could, I couldn't take much of it, but nor could the person I was with. So then turn turn around and go all the way back down um, to 15,000. So you do all that without taking any rests or any breaks or so. So it's it's the last little bit is grueling, but that it's not it's not like it's it's super hard. It's not that it's just. It's not physically really, really hard. It's it's a challenge, though. So what I'm hearing is, you know, there's a lot of mental stuff that goes into this, not just training for the physical. If you could go back and tell your younger self before you left on the trip, hey, prepare mentally for this, what would this be? I would say one, just for me, but because this is me personally, because mm-hmm. this is who I am with all with everything I do, that's is a physical challenge. I underestimate my ability. And so there's a lot of nervous energy that I don't have to spend because then I always look back after and say, why, why did I doubt myself so much? You know, like, cause I do it. You just do it. You show up and you do it. So there would be that piece. And one other little piece would be forgetting how stinky it can be people who've not washed in several, several days and with dirty clothes and all that. And to remember to bring like a lavender oil or something. It's so funny. (laughs) That's one of my strongest memories was if I, then I would suggest someone bring something really nice smelling. So at night when they're trying to sleep, they can be just put it on their bandana and just have something nice to, to breathe. (laughs) Wow. And so you come back down. And you're even from the fifteen hundred. You're you're back 15, down 000. on fifteen thousand feet. Well, from nineteen thousand, the very top is nineteen thousand um, three hundred and forty feet. Okay, very top. Yeah. So, so you you summit, you come back down um, mm-hmm. the mountain, and you've accomplished this and checked this off your bucket list. What are you feeling? What is what's something that maybe there was a transformational memory for you that you took on? after you accomplish that task? 
a transformational memory would be that I, and I don't know if this is really cliche. It's just kind of like when you do these really, really hard things, you come back and you realize all those other little things that you worry about and think you can't do and, and think they're a challenge. You realize, oh, you can do it. It's not that big of a deal. So it's just that it's a confidence booster. Mm -hmm. It's just a realization that there's a lot of hard things in life and it doesn't mean that you can't do them. And, and, and there's a huge, there's a huge sense of accomplishment and also wonderment, you know, just, wow, I get to participate in life to this degree. Like, wow, how cool is that? That's awesome. If somebody was going to go do this, you talked a little bit about some of the things you might've told yourself, but if someone was actually going to take this trip and, mm -hmm. and cross this off their bucket list, what's something that you would recommend to them that they make sure that they do either while they're doing it, preparing for it? Definitely. Well, you have to go get all your shots and, and all that, right? And then there's a medic, an altitude medication that you could get. I would strongly recommend you get that. Mm. We did see several people coming down, like the um, Sherpas. There, If someone is really struggling and has altitude sickness, you have to bring them down and get them get the medical help quickly. And we saw many stretchers being run down the mountain. So that's, that's it's, I mean, it's the reality of this. So don't take that piece lightly. And I would definitely, I, I took, the, we all took the medication and um, it helps. That's great advice. Maureen, what's something else on your bucket list that you'd like to cross off? I have never, it's always travel. It's like <laughs> somewhere tra traveling and then having a, a, a physical challenge attached to it. But I've never been to Australia and New Zealand. So that's next on, on the list. And um, we have friends there. So they'll be taking us on excursions in the outback and places like that. So that I'm excited about. Is there a specific reason why Australia is so high on your list? Because it's one of the places I haven't been to. Yeah. You know, I, I was so fortunate. I think a lot of who we are it really does start in our childhood. Right. And my parents, we were, no, we were poor. We did not have much money. My father was one of 10. My mom was one of 12 and they were so resourceful and they wanted to travel, but didn't have the money. So my father, they were teachers and they signed up to be teachers on a Canadian base in uh, Germany. So we moved to Germany. And when we were there, we just, we traveled all the time. Mm -hmm. And I, that was, that, that instilled in me this, this desire to see the world. There's so many cool places and interesting people. And so they shared that gift with me. And I see it now in my kids. My daughter lives in France and, She's lived, you know, like it's nice, it's nice to see, I think super important. Is there any specific one thing besides seeing your friends probably in Australia that you want to do? Oh gosh, no, other than just seeing, seeing the wildlife. I mean, those are animals we just don't get to see yeah. very often. Right. So I, I don't mean snakes and, and spiders, but I would love to see kangaroos, koalas, you know, all those I'd love to see the wildlife. I'd love to just uh, swim in the oceans. Love to uh, do hiking in New Zealand. Yeah, New Zealand's a beautiful place. Have you been there? 
you know? <laughs> no, 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 it's on the list. Yeah. Maureen, where can folks find you online and, and what do you do there? I am a health life coach and I coach the niche that I seem that I track the most is weight loss. My website is maureenkemeny.com and I do group coaching. I do private coaching and I'm also on the social me- media channels so I can be fine. Maureen Kemeny. Maureen, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you being honest and vulnerable with your story. And I wish you all the best in your trip to cross Australia off your bucket list. Thank you so much, Roger. All the best with you too. 